Welcome. You are listening to Bookalicious, not just any book podcast. I'm Paul Jarrett, together with Gwyn, Lara and Holly. Join us on a journey exploring the world of books and words. Be inspired. Get new reading ideas, sometimes serious, but always fun. Bookalicious is a podcast to open your mind. Well, hello. After a very, very long break, um, this is Bookalicious again, a, a whole episode 16. And uh, with me tonight are Gwyn and Lara. Hello, Gwyn and Lara. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're missing Holly because she's just about to start her next adventure by going to university very soon. But I think we can probably include her in future once she's settled. We've got a lot of good things tonight. Uh, I did an interview with uh, David Ebsworth, who is really known as Dave McCall. But although he came on the very first episode of Bookalicious, we never actually talked about his own books. So he's got a book out uh, just this week, in fact. And uh, I talked to him about that, The House on Hunter Street. Uh, then um, he's Monica Evans, who I met at Wrexham Carnival of Words 2022 this year. I met uh, Monica, who within three minutes one talked about her favourite book of all time, which is The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. And um, that then has led to us talking about literature in translation. You won't believe where the conversation went, but if I say Robert Burns and translated into Silesian dialect just to give you a hint so you definitely need to stay tuned and then we'll probably chat about translated fiction and stuff as well so um, as tradition suggests we should always do let's talk about what we're reading at the moment um, we are well spread aren't we we've got me in Wrexham, Lara in Liverpool and uh, Gwyn in Newport, not that it affects our reading habits. Although, Lara, I believe you were hanging out in Wrexham earlier today or this week with a large bag of books. What was in that bag? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's been two months, everybody. And I, I like to think, you know, my reading habits have calmed down recently. They haven't, everybody. Spoiler alert, I'm reading nine books at the oh moment. Oh, my God. Settle in. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm probably going to start with our book club read, which is The Count of Monte Cristo, which I am thoroughly, I actually don't want this book to end, actually. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed The Musketeers when I read it as well, and this one is just fabulous. Uh, I'm also reading um, a book by Arthur C. Clarke called Cradle, mm. now, which is more sort of fantasy based about a strange new world which is very very enjoyable and I haven't really read much Arthur C. Clarke before so that's great. Um, I'm reading a book on um, feminism in the middle ages and women written out of history by uh, an amazing art historian called uh, Renira Ramirez who does a lot of documentaries. Uh, she has her own art detectives podcast. She's at absolutely brilliant it's great I'm absolutely hooked 
And I'm also reading a book on Victorian freak shows by John Wolfe, which is absolutely... Now, Claire at Waterstones in Wrexham actually was recommending this book. And it was a book I was going... I don't need more books. I've got enough books. And I went in and I, I fell in. And she knew what was going to happen. It was inevitable. You take your dad in for his birthday books. You come out with four books yourself. It's, it's <sighs> That's what happens. It yeah. It is, but it's a Waterstones Wrexham. I mean, it, it, they are fantastic there. You know, yeah. any single book that I ever had trouble finding, they are wonderful. And I'm also reading a book by Dan Jones uh, called The Hollow Crown, which is all about the rise and fall of the Tudors and the Tudor history. And when when people think Tudor history began and when it actually began a lot before that, 300, 400 years before that. So those are kind of the books I'm reading at the moment. Blimey, Laura, seriously. <laughs> I'm going to crack on it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I'll pick I'll pick you up on a couple of those. Um, Count of Monte Cristo, because uh, I don't think you've dived in, have you, Gwyn? You, it was too no, much of a I challenge. Haven't. But yes. um, I, I have to say I'm like you. I, I, I'm, I'm living it. Uh, you know, about seven or eight hundred pages in, and I don't want it to end. You can feel it coming to an end, mm. um, but it is uh, to to call it a rip roaring adventure is not really doing it justice. It's different. It's it, it's got the same style as the Three Musketeers, but I think it's um, on another level in a way. I mean, it's a revenge tragedy, isn't it, or a revenge retribution novel? Um, it's got it's got everything in it and we're reading it in translation of course i i wonder what we might be missing if we were to read it in french i'm never ever going to have my french good enough to read 1200 pages <laughs> but uh, but i i it's been a fabulous read and a different read to middlemarch you need to go to bookadicious.com where um there will be blog posts not only have we started doing podcasting again we will be won't we lara be, yes. Yes. Um, so look out for those. So even if you're not going to read Council of Monte Cristo, come and join in the fun. Um, and we might even inspire you to go and do it. Uh, the other one that I want to pick up on is uh, Yanina Ramirez's um, Femina, isn't it? It's called, uh, yes. which I've got from the library waiting to go. I can't wait. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, she's somebody who is a, a fan, one of my favourite historians anyway, uh, but the way she writes this book is just so different and so fresh and unique and the, the stories in it and the, the characters in it, it's just, it's just amazing, you know? It's, it's what we talked about before on this show, isn't it, about bringing um, women, certainly from that early Middle Ages period, um, from history to life because they've been ignored or sort of airbrushed out of history. It's fantastic. I'm really, really looking forward to that. And how the hell you get on from there to Victorian freak shows, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. <laughs> uh, may you continue to be a diverse reader, Lara. <laughs> anyway, Gwyn, are you, are you are you finding time to read? Yes, I am. I. I... I don't, I don't like the summer. It makes me hot and tired. Very and hot this year. <laughs> yes. 
and, and I should be reading more, but um, I love it when September comes around, um, even though I don't know personally anyone who's involved with going back to school. It's that sense of the time of the year and everyone's going back to school. And as I'm sitting here, I can see the dark clouds outside. It's probably going to rain any minute. And it's such a nice time of year for me to think, right, I am going to curl up inside and I'm going to read. And I, I know if you have like a scale of how many books to read, and on one end you have Lara. <laughs> so Mark, the thing I'm most proud about this month is um, even in the past few days, I picked up a book that I started months ago and I've kind of romped, through, I got about halfway through it, three fifths of the way through it. And I picked it up less, less than a week ago and I've almost finished it. Uh, so I'm proud of myself for having really got back into the swing of just reading books that I've been meaning to read for ages. This particular one is Waterland by Graham Swift. Oh, yeah. Which I have wanted to read for ages. I saw the film um, back in the 90s with Jeremy Irons and a young Ethan Hawke and a young Lena Headey, if that's how you pronounce it. Thursday mm -hmm. yeah. from Game of Thrones. Um, uh, it's it's It's... Incredible. I think one of the reasons it's taken me a while is it's very meaty. You know, he uses very long sentences and he likes to, the, the characters like, well, the, the main character, the teacher, Tom Crick, he likes to philosophize and muse on history. He's a history teacher. And there's so many, there are so many layers to it. He's a history teacher. He's talking about his own family history and it goes back decades, centuries. And it's all linked in with the story of something that's happened recently in his own life with his wife. And it's about the difference between history, um, what's a history and what's a story, and why has somebody just done something? Well, how long have you got and how many decades can you go back? It's absolutely fascinating, just the, the different levels that there are within it. And I think this is partly why it's taken me a while to get through it, but it's one of those that you really want to kind of savor as you're going. And you can't rush through it. It's. Um, yeah. I read it a long, long time ago. Um, and but one thing that I do recall, for, um, and way before the film came out, is that the landscape, of course, is a huge is mm. is, a, is a huge part of the atmosphere, isn't it? It's that that flat landscape. Well, it's not far from where you originated, is it? So uh, sort of that way. I mean, I'm from Lincolnshire, but I'm not from the real Fenny no. part of it. And I think where this is set, it's more like East Anglia rather than Lincolnshire. Right. I think mm. sort of just tipping around the, the other side of the wash. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing. He evokes it so well and it is tied in. Absolutely. It's, the landscape is key to the story. It's it's not just this is where it's set. It's, it's absolutely, it plays a fundamental role in how the... Um, that the families and the stories evolve, really. Fantastic, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, what a great read. What a wonderful autumn you've got ahead of you, then. <laughs> Just picking books off the shelf, isn't it? It's. Um... I've, I've got loads of books. I've got piles and piles of books, and I have been organising them. So at least when I sit down, I can now see them rather yeah. than thinking I must go and look in my cupboard somewhere to see what books I've got. If they're staring at me. Then I'll be more likely to pick one up. <laughs> well, if I'm uh, if I ever share this video of us, uh, there's you. I can see books behind you, Gwyn, oh, yes. and I've got sort of towers of books either side of me. Lara, I'm a bit worried. There's nothing in your room. All the books are downstairs. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's still here on shelves. It's just in this room. You 
cannot see them, are they? So apart from Counter Monte Cristo, which uh, is is a fabulous read, and I'm loving it, and it's going to be finished by the end of this week, I, I suspect. Um, we've been reading Putin's People as well for the book group, which is happening this week, um, or I've been trying to. Um, it's 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 uh, about the right Putin's rise to power, um, and it's really good, and it's great almost like in good investigative journalism and some of it i know uh but it, it's just un uh, it it's unforgiving <laughs> i think that's the word i think it's really hard because there's nothing you can do about it it's almost like seeing a great big meteor heading towards earth and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it you can maybe divert it um, or God forbid we blow it up, but you know this, this, this is what's happening in the world at the moment. Um, so it kind of defeated me. I hate admitting defeat on books. Um, but one other book I'm going to mention, and I think Lara, you 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 liked this when I popped it onto Goodreads. Another uh, a book group um, uh, that I belong to called Adventurous Inc., which you subscribe to, and they send you get a book a month. Um, and books, again, I wouldn't necessarily read. They're nature, adventure, that kind of thing. And this one's called uh, Coasting by uh, Elise. You'll have to look in the show notes for her surname. She set off one, you know, this has happened to all of us. I guarantee, certainly you and Gwen, you and I, Gwen, we've been here um, sitting in an office in a day job that we just, you just don't wonder why you're there. And she did something about it, like um just was she i think she was organizing a delivery for the company she's working for to somewhere in the highlands and islands and thought oh that's interesting look at the map around there i wonder if anyone's walked around the coast of britain which they had and she went and looked it up um and then thought oh well, i wonder if anyone's run around the coast of britain and so we're talking about someone who hadn't even completed couch to 5k uh, or, and one of, and she starts the book in a brilliant way by saying, a word of warning, if you do anything like this, learn to read a map. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought, well, Adrienne read it and said, oh, I think you'll hate this because she, she's just not prepared at all, you know, because I kind of over-prepare when I go out uh, on um, a walking, even just for an afternoon. And... Uh, do you know what? I kind of really liked it. I thought I just really admired how she thought, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a go. And she ends up running right around the coast of Britain. So I'm only just started it. She's only just got on the train to go down to the beginning of the, I don't know how many thousand miles it is around the coast of Britain, but it's probably about 300 marathons. Um, uh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I'm not going to do it, folks. All right, it's not me, <laughs> but I love reading about it. So, um, yeah. yeah, and if, if you as a listener to this podcast don't get any great ideas from that little list, I don't know, um, <laughs> maybe this isn't the podcast for you. Um, so we're going to seamlessly slip into um, the interview I did with Dave McCall. Uh, this will neatly uh, move towards something that Laura and I are planning, fingers crossed, um, we're going to try and do a bit of outside broadcast in Liverpool, uh, literary places in Liverpool, of which I am finding multiple 
numbers. So it's probably about a 25-stop tour of the centre of Liverpool. Yeah, it's it, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And uh, that maybe uh, will probably come out in November, I would think, by the time I've edited it. Or we've done it, and then I've edited it. Anyway, Dave's book, uh, current book, uh, is... Uh, the house on Hunter Street, set in Liverpool in 1911, and that was the start of our conversation. We also go and have a chat about some of his back catalogue. Uh, I've put his website in the show notes, so you can go and check out his amazing uh, 11 books that he's published, all of which are excellent. I do recommend them all. Um, so uh, here I am talking to Dave, and at the end you will hear... Um, Monica Evans just sneaking into our conversation. She'll come um, along later on in the show as well. Okay, so this is an interview we did in Wrexham Library and he was just about to go and do an event talking to people. So if we sound a little bit anxious about time, that's, um, that's why. Well, I'm absolutely delighted today to be talking to uh, David Ebsworth, who really is Dave McCall. Um, Dave, welcome today. Thanks very much, Paul. It's nice to be here. Because the thing is, Dave, uh, you have been on the very first episode of Bookalicious. Okay. Uh, That was way back, about 15 or 16 episodes ago. Oh, wow. Um, And you talked about Carnival of Words and, uh, yeah... You didn't talk about your own books, and we're going to remedy that tonight. Okay, fine. Because yeah. you're just about to go out to a huge audience and tell them, well, you do what you do. You you, you love history, don't you? I do indeed, yeah. I know it's a big, big passion of mine. And, you know, you're anyone who gets a chance to see and hear you talk about, well, you know, 10 things you didn't may not know about uh, is... Brilliant. Yeah, slight correction, because I, I do have a passion for history, but actually I have a passion for weird history. Weird history. It's sort okay. of stranger than fiction yeah, yeah. history. It's kind of really what I deal in, I suppose. Yeah, but that's the stuff, isn't it? The, 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 I, I find with history, it's the stuff that's really interesting is the, the things that catch your eye. Yeah. You know, we all know about the battles and the kings and yeah. whatever. It's the little stuff that happened off to the side that nobody noticed. There, there, was little, there was a nice little bit on the chase last night, and the question was about what was the longest war in history? And actually it was a war between the Dutch and the Silly Isles, Seriously. Seriously. But lasted for 344 years. And it only lasted that long because the Dutch forgot to declare peace. <laughs> and they only realised in 1986 that they were technically still at war with the Silly Isles. And uh, I, I just love those That's kind of crazy, bits of silly, yeah. silly yeah. history. Is that, that'll be the next novel then. <laughs> no, <laughs> might be, yeah. So what I'm remiss of me to say, Dave, is that I think your your new book, which is due out next week, or when this podcast goes out about that time, um, is that your 11th book? It, it'll be the 11th published novel. It's actually the 12th, because I've got one book also that's only um, an e-book, yeah. uh, The Lisbon Labyrinth, but yeah, it's the 11th published yeah. book. So, well, let's start with the most recent one. The, the, the thing I should say is the, 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 the books that you've written before, uh, Spanish Civil War, uh, Battle of Waterloo, um, 
Jacobite Rebellion, yeah. and here you are coming home to Liverpool, to a house on Hunter Street. Uh, yes, it's it's interesting that to me. Yeah. I've said to a few people, this time it's personal. <laughs> Yeah. For exact, for almost for exactly that that reason, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, tell us a bit about the book. I I, I have yet to read it because I haven't. Okay, had a copy so it's yet, it's so. set in Liverpool in nineteen eleven, which was a time. Funnily enough, it was a period of time that feels a bit like today. Um, <laughs> we we had sort of you know crappy government and everybody been had their wages depressed for donkey's years and so on and so forth. And there's this kind of almost popular mood of of rebellion in the country and particularly in places like London and in this case in Liverpool. So the book set in Liverpool in 1911 um, and it follows the story of a Liverpool Welsh family, which I did sort of pretty deliberately really, so a Liverpool Welsh family and the daughter, the sort of heroine of the story is a woman called Carrie Maddox, she's young and she's a suffragette because the suffragettes are right in the middle of yeah. almost the kind of the peak of their campaign as well. So you've got this kind of suffragette campaign going on. Uh, you've got all of these transport strikes building up to a huge conclusion and bloodshed in Liverpool in August 1911. And also you've got things like Home Rule for Ireland bubbling away in the background. And into the middle of this uh, mix, uh, two particular characters come into the story. Uh, one is a West African uh, seaman uh, who's been on strike for ages already and he's kind of involved in the family and also this psychotic Welsh cousin a man called Tom Priddy who was just a joy to write just a total maniac <laughs> uh, and so this these, their, their stories are all kind of interwoven around this historical background and because I, I was was nineteen eleven the time when my landlady when I uh, back in the seventies when I, uh, I I lived in Liverpool as a student she used to talk about her granddad talking about the streets um, Scotland Road running with blood around the police strike. Uh, oh well, that was nineteen. The the that, police strike was nineteen nineteen. Oh, so but they after. ran they ran red with blood in nineteen eleven as well on on what's now known as Bloody yeah. Sunday yeah. in August uh, nineteen eleven when the police and the army batten charged the crowd of around about a hundred thousand people on St George's Plateau and it was effectively kind of two three days of civil war. Uh, in Liverpool immediately afterwards and it, and this resulted in two innocent bystanders being shot by troops uh, on the 15th of August 1911 on Bloody Tuesday so mm -hmm. we have Bloody Sunday and Bloody Tuesday um, so it's uh, you know like lots of conflict in here for you to kind of play with uh, really and uh, it was just it was a joy to write but literally it's been in the making it's kind of personal because I've got a lot of personal links to the story um, but uh, also, of course, because it, it's obviously it's it's set in Liverpool itself, and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. So it, it is kind of a bit of a personal, and it's been it's been in the making this one for I I think I wrote the first bit of this twenty years ago, wow. and it's literally it's just so you slipped it in the drawer, and here it is. It I kept on sort of taking it out and going, oh, I know what I haven't done. I haven't kind of done this, and I haven't done that, and so on and so forth. And and the, and the story did sort of almost grow by itself. Um, so, I mean, there's plenty to get your teeth into. I mean, obviously you've got a personal connection to Liverpool, but it's always, even today, it's considered to be, goes against the trend, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, very much so. And this was, and really this was, 
1911 is it's really the beginning of Liverpool as we know it today. You know, it's kind of does kicks against the traces and so on. And this is the year when it all began, and it never really looked back uh, after this. And my personal connection to it is kind of more precise than that because it's called the House on Hunter Street, and uh, it's set in a sort of a print shop at the bottom of Hunter Street. Uh, and actually, my grandfather ran a print shop at the bottom of Hunter Street. So there were lots of kind oh, of all of these kind of family biographical things. Oh, no, it's not really, it isn't. But the, but the settings are, you know, very much kind of connected to my family. And, and this connection between Liverpool and Wales, I mm-hmm. mean, your, your previous trilogy was closely linked to Wrexham, obviously, yeah. because of uh, Eli Yale, yeah, Yale. Yeah. And, and, uh, or his wife, I should say. And... Um, so, but he, he, there is this thing, still a really strong connection between Wales and, it, and Liverpool. It's not just well, reservoirs either. Oh no, absolutely! <laughs> oh, no, don't mention the reservoir for goodness' sake. Um, and yeah, I suppose it, it, it's kind of this way. First of all, I, was, I learned such a lot really when I write the books. You know what I mean? And and you always know quite a lot already, and then you go, "Oh my goodness, I didn't know this." So Liverpool had its first Welsh-speaking mayor in. 1515. 1515. 15, 15. 15, isn't that Seriously. absurd? And, um, and when I started sort of writing this, I, you know, I looked at sort of Welsh connections in, in Liverpool. And at the time of writing in 1911, it's estimated that there were 70,000 Welsh-speaking Welsh fans. 70,000. 70,000 in Liverpool. There were at least 70 Welsh chapels, probably 90. Um, it had its own Welsh language newspapers because there were so many mm-hmm. folk there. Uh, there were three Eisteddfod, three national Eisteddfods that were held in Liverpool because of the number of Welsh speakers who were there. And so we, you know, we do this thing about, we've always done it, we used to do it as a joke about Liverpool being the capital of North Wales. But actually, it, it, it kind it of is. It was a bit like that. And then uh, also, the thing I knew about, of course, was the Welsh streets in Liverpool, but I, I honestly didn't have any idea about the extent of this. Um, and there were a whole batch of, in so from the 1850s onwards, a whole batch of Welsh architects and builders uh, who were commissioned to start building houses for workers in Liverpool. And I think there are five or maybe six different batches of what they call Welsh streets in Liverpool, mm-hmm. biggest and most famous are in Toxteth. Uh, but uh, one builder and one architect alone built between them 10,000 terraced houses with Ruabin, Welsh brick, Welsh slate, Welsh timber. Uh, and these houses, these kind of six-room houses, which are literally all over Liverpool, are still known by architects as the Welsh houses wow. because the design didn't really appear anywhere else but they then spread mm-hmm. so other cities then developed the welsh house and so, so terraced houses really all over the northwest owe a huge amount to these yeah. welsh builders and, and welsh well, architects slate bricks yeah know, everywhere yeah. even all the way up to glasgow oh of course yeah, so. and then i and I'd, it's just that when you kind of look back at some of these things 
Um, you know, the second biggest department store in Liverpool, which I used to frequent all the time, was Owen Owen. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it never occurred to me all the time I lived there that Owen Owen was a Welsh name, yeah. you know. It's just stupid. Welsh it's right, never, yeah. You think about it, but of course he was Owen Owen himself was a Welsh entrepreneur, wow. set up the mm-hmm. chain of stores and so on and so forth, and the rest is, is, is history, so that, as they say. And so the extent of that... Um, Really, and as you kind of go in through, really, the Liverpool Welsh family were almost kind of secondary at the beginning. And um, I keep on adding in more and more and more and more Welsh characters because, you know, there they are. And I've told this story lots of times that I was brought up in Bootle and I had a friend who lived about probably a mile away and I used to walk to his house on a Sunday morning to do whatever we used to do. Um, and I, I used to pass this Welsh chapel on the corner of his street. So on a Sunday morning I'd go past and there would just be loads and loads of these Welsh speakers yeah. on the street. It was yeah, kind of yeah. almost like being in the middle of Wales itself. And so, yeah, just... So um, before we leave Liverpool, yeah. uh, the, the, the strangest thing that you found out when researching this book? Oh my goodness, there were just loads of them. Just, I, just one? One thing, okay. Uh, so Liverpool was the only city in the UK, in Britain, that had first-class trams. Wow, first-class trams? Yeah. They had did, first... anyone, did anyone use them? Of course. <laughs> they, were, they were heavily used, and they were introduced by the, um, the sort of medical team. They, they kind of commissioned this to happen. Um, so the only city in, in Britain that had first-class trams, and it was really to sort of control, well, it was to keep, like, the smallpox and cholera epidemics wow. away from the powerful and wealthy. Seriously. So, wow. and the big signs on, and, but they were beautiful. These were called Bellamy trams, mm. and they had late, little lace curtains and so on and so forth, big signs everywhere that said gentlemen are not allowed to spit on the floor. Didn't say anything about ladies not spitting on the floor. Perhaps that was okay. Um, but gentlemen weren't allowed to spit on the floor. You could only smoke outside. And They'd be handy during COVID, wouldn't they? Oh, what? Yeah. yeah yes. Before I leave you entirely, Dave, because we're going to move on. We've been joined by, uh, by Monica. Monica Evans. Thank you, Monica. And we're going to talk My about um, translated fiction uh, or literature or translation in general. I don't want to leave it, Dave, without sort of doing a little bit of a retrospective because, uh, as I said at the beginning, you know, you've been, um, uh, you know, Wrexham was uh, the centre for your last trilogy really wasn't it you know? yeah well it features strongly because of the Yale connection yeah, uh, yeah, certainly yeah. the beginning and the end of the series yeah, yeah. yeah. but of course it draws in India and everything, everything. else everywhere else We're all around the and world. then uh, you know the first book I read of yours was uh, uh, around Waterloo as you were oh yeah talking around um, all the things the strange things that I just never even imagined you know, women in the front line with handing out brandy in yeah, the canteens. You know, I've got brandy. Yeah. Um, you've also done a trilogy, Jack Telford trilogy, which mm-hmm. is more. I was going to say spy thriller. It's it's got the feel of that, yeah, isn't it? Sort of thirty nine steps ish um, type of. Stuff. I mean, where does Jack get to? I I thought these were books just about the Spanish Civil War, but the last one, you know, I know Spain, the stuff that Africa, through on us like it's just cruel, isn't yeah. it? And, and, you just feel for Jack. <laughs> He's a war correspondent, but writing articles is probably the last thing he does. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does a bit of work now and again. (laughs) The thing we should say, 24th of August August. is today. It is, indeed. Um, And, well, tell us what happened on 24th of August. Well, 
the, the second book in the Jack Telfer series finishes at the end of the Spanish Civil War. It's not a spoiler, because obviously Jack survives the, <laughs> for the third book, so it's no spoiler that he, he survives. And he survives uh, at the very, very end of the Spanish Civil War. There's half a million refugees trying to escape from Franco's clutches, and lots of them go to France. But another batch of them head off to North Africa, and the very, very last group head off on a, a, a British steamer uh, called the Stanbrook, Welsh skipper, and he takes about 2,000 uh, refugees to freedom in uh, North Africa, at Oran. Uh, and in the book, I sort of, I have a fictional Jack on the real-life Stanbrook, but also with these kind of real-life Spanish Republicans who are kind of fleeing from, from Spain. And I was kind of intrigued a little bit about, well, what happened to all of these Spanish Republicans? And then that started me writing the, the new book. And it turned out that a batch of those uh, Spanish Republicans then went on to join the Free French Army. And where are we? Five years later, on the 24th of August, 1944, they end up being the very, very first Allied troops to fight their way into Paris uh, with the liberation of Paris from the, from the Germans. So the first Allied troops to fight their way into Paris, 24th of August, aren't British, they're not French, they're not Americans, they're Spaniards. Yeah. And, uh, they're, and they're kind of celebrated now all over Paris. So you find different plaques and stuff all over the city now that sort of mark the... But, but not at the time. Eisenhower didn't like it, did he? Oh, no, no, nobody liked it. And the, and the Gaulle didn't like it because, <laughs> you know... <laughs> he didn't like anything that didn't... That's a little really unfair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, they obviously, they wanted sort of French troops yeah, to kind of yeah, lead yeah. the processions yeah. and so on and so forth. But they were persuaded in yeah. the end that actually it was these guys... Uh, from this particular company that done all the hard work and even the goal in the end recognised that they should be given pride of place on these kind of victory processions and so on. So you see, the, you know, there's all these wonderful pictures of these kind of Spanish tanks, uh, uh, tanks driving down the Champs-Élysées and the half tracks emblazoned with the names yeah. of all these battles, Spanish Republican flags and so on. It's a fantastic, yeah, lovely bit of history. We could, couldn't let today pass without Indeed not. And, Gosh, we could do a couple of hours, couldn't we, really? We're going to. We are going to. (laughs) You are going to. But but, um, on this actual recording, if we whetted your appetite to to go out and seek out Dave's books, um, what's your website, Dave? Well, it's just uh, davidebsworth.com. It's it's easy enough, really. So davidebsworth, all one word. And you can sign up to Dave's blog, which... I learned so many things, <laughs> strange, weird history that nobody ever knew and uh, now knows. Um, Very nice but, of you. Uh, yeah, it's no. yeah. <laughs> and it's you can buy the books through there or Amazon or, or, or anywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank for, you. For Very, that. very welcome. Ah, there we go. So that was me chatting to to, to uh, Dave McCall and uh, latterly uh, Monica Evans. And in a minute, uh, we will have uh, my interview with Monica and Dave chips in as well about uh, translated literature. Um, jo- I just wanted to flag up. I think I said in the first bit, didn't I, about uh, book book clubs. Well, I mean, we've got the book group in Wrexham where we turn up and take books to pieces um that uh, we've read but uh, i mentioned the adventurous ink book uh, group which is um 
done by online. Um, Tim sends out books every uh, month. There's different levels of membership, but then he interviews, usually interviews the author online um, and you have a Zoomy chat at the end of each month. Um, and that's excellent. But I really wanted to, to give a shout out to Shelterbox. Uh, Shelterbox is a charity that, uh, well, I first came across them when I um, worked, uh, worked, <laughs> volunteered for the scouting organisation as an assistant Cub Scout leader. And we used to stretch our brains to try and entertain cubs every uh, week. And um, someone came from Shelterbox and it was just amazing. You know, they have, they, they uh, have designed a box which is about the, it's the size of an old mobile library box i don't know it's, i'm very old all right um so they used to to get uh uh village halls used to have this kind of unit that would close up would be on wheels and you'd open it up and there'd be two shelves of books um on either side and you'd take your books and go home it's kind of like that but inside there is stuff for people to survive in um disaster situations so if they've lost the house it provides shelter um things like torches uh, drinking water all the things you need to 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 survive and it i don't know if you're like me um but i look at things like the disaster the floods in pakistan obviously we've had uh, ukraine on our minds for for the last six months and shelter box go to all these places so it's a wonderful charity and what they do is they uh, have a book group which promotes i guess more global literature things that you wouldn't necessarily see on the shelves in Watson's or uh, would necessarily go and read so a lot of um, writers from africa caribbean um, asia uh, and it's not always fiction sometimes it's uh, non-fiction um, and you get to vote out of three books they offer you you get to vote on which is going to be the next um, book and then it comes out the next month so i'm going to put in the show notes uh, a link to 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 shelter box um so um lara gwyn just as you were thinking i don't need any more books there's an opportunity to to gain more books do you think you do you think you go for that does it sound interesting I've, I've just I've called up the website. I'm just having a little look through it now. If you wondered why I was looking off to the side, mm. I I love the idea of joining all these book groups. I, I've called up Adventurous Inc. as well, and I do love the idea. But I also know I've got so many piles of my own books that <laughs> haven't come. <laughs> I really want to get through, um, yeah. so I, I I'm certainly going to remember them. Uh, and if I do speed up my reading and get through a few more than I'm expecting to, then yeah, I I it's. I, I just love the idea of having somebody else decide this month yeah. this is what you read yeah. and it's not something you would necessarily pick and you might not like everything but that's mm. that's why you read it and it fits in very nicely with the next interview actually because mo a lot of the books that come up on the shelter box um book club anyway um are often translated fiction the latest one that i received this morning is called the mountains sing <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've got myself a lovely uh, podcast pronunciation challenge here. Anyone good at Vietnamese? I'm going to give it a go. Um, so the mountains sing and it's by Nguyen Phan Ki Mai. How was that for Vietnamese? Were you impressed with that? No. 
I wouldn't know if it was wrong. <laughs> but uh, I, I, it just dropped through the letterbox this morning and I started reading. So her first non, uh, you know, first book in English. Uh, most of her, all her other books have been in Vietnamese. So this is her writing in English. Um, and she did a, uh, a degree in creative writing at Lancaster University. I think that's... Uh, and and I, the first chapter is just draws you straight in. I just sat down in the garden with a cup of coffee and thought, oh, I'll give this a go. So maybe I'm starting another book. And it leads you into uh, this little girl with her grandmother coming home from school in um, Hanoi in 1972, just as the Americans are moving in to bomb Hanoi. And yeah, okay, so it may not be the most cheerful of reads, but it was it took you took me immediately there um to and her the vietnam war is uh, is uh, i think very much a forgotten war but it was very when i was when i was a kid it was on the telly all the time um but we always got the other side you know we got the american view of it this is very much a, a view is it does lead to the the next segment beautifully because um Monica Evans, well, just talking about The Master and Margarita uh, by Mikhail Bulgakov, uh, which she's never read in English, uh, only in Russian and Polish. And, well, just enjoy the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes. If you were listening to the last episode, you'll have heard uh, the interview I uh, did with uh, David Ebsworth, who in real life is Dave McCall. I've managed to keep him staying in the same seat um, for, for this interview um, with Monica. Monica, uh, welcome to Bookalicious. Thank you for um, having me. And you came in briefly on the last uh, interview, uh, but we've been trying to get together for quite a long time That's because right. the Carnival of Words in Wrexham uh, back in April, all those months ago, uh, we did a thing called the Writer's Carousel, which I think we're going to do again next year, aren't we, Dave? Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. And you, I think you very unfairly had about three minutes to tell us <laughs> about, uh, was it your favourite, most yes, inspirational I book? Actually, yes, I brought the book with oh, me, this, Master this and book. Margarita. That's right. Yes. That's and um, so, yes, uh, Bulgarkov's Master and Margarita. Now, the amazing thing was that you said you'd never read it in English. Never. Uh, because your first language is Polish, Polish. and you, you, you know, second is Slovakian, so yeah, and you got a bit of Russian in there. Yes, yeah. as yeah. being a Pole, um, and actually being born in, I say, late seventies. <laughs> I'm so diplomatic. A mere, a mere stripling, a mere young. You would have to learn Russian at school. Yeah. So, in fact, I had nineteen years of of schooling in Russian. Uh, so he had a very strict Russian tutor who made us reading um, for about four years in my in my high school, four years of reading Master and Margarita in original. So there were absolutely you know you had to master your accent uh, and there were uh, there was a time when I could actually recite uh, I think the first chapter by heart. I can't do it any longer. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but I was I was glad she that the, uh, our tutor chose Master Margaret because, as I said at the uh, Carnival of Words, it's absolutely my favorite book of all time. And I think I mentioned today that this is a book uh, uh, which could be described as hilariously sad. Uh, 
Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hilariously <laughs> sad. Yeah. Uh, so indeed, yes. So. But it's um. How many times do you think you've read it? Oh my word! About nine at least. Wow. Yeah. Nine yeah. at least. Yeah. And, and all all in the original. Uh, the, I read it in original. Um, nine, ten times more in Polish. Uh, and I did it just because to uh, I I uh, I did it to see um, what the translation uh, would be like. And every now and then, every few years, there would be another uh, version, another translated mm-hmm. book of uh, Master Margarita. And I would uh, look at the translation. I would see which one is you know better so or this worse. So Russian into Polish. Uh, yeah. That's right, Russian into Polish. And, and uh, did they all hold up, or did did you have a different experience well, in Polish to to the original? Oh, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, the best one so far is the one that just actually is the latest one. Uh, and I've got to say, yes, uh, that's the one done by the family, actually. Leocadia Grzegorz and Igor, so Leocadia Przebinda and Grzegorz Przebinda are uh, a married couple, and the uh, son Igor is a translator himself. And they done the translation as a family. Mm-hmm. So they have this, uh, uh, this experience of... Uh, both the couple uh, having been in translation for years and years, and Igor being quite a uh, young uh, translator. So you can see that uh, this is a completely different translation of uh, Master and Margarita, at least to, when, when I compare it to the uh, few last ones. And annotation, actually, other wow. as, as uh, fascinating as the whole book is, because they give you the story, how they found, came across certain things, how they researched it. So it's not just a simple information what something is, but also the brief history behind that, which mm-hmm. I find really, really fascinating. Yeah. So when we're talking about translation, that is a real identifier that someone actually cares and has done it That's with right. absolute meticulousness. When it comes to translated literature it's it's a genre separate genre itself isn't it and it's a it's a strange one because on one side you've got as a translator you come across something that is not yours that you that becomes yours if you know what I mean you translate somebody's work that potentially could be could be a masterpiece Mm -hmm. if you do it right Uh, and the, the 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 trick is the key is to do it in balance mm-hmm. because if you if you do it too close to the original it becomes robotic almost google like yeah. doesn't it if you do it too far then you lose the let's say the wit of an author yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the whole context of the it's 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 a really tricky one uh, and I got to say the translation classes were my favorite at uni and I had the <laughs> I had the privilege really to be taught uh, by uh, by poets uh, and they said a few uh, professors that were teaching at this uni they said you need to as a translator you need to find the balance this is this is your key and I remember this um, this uh, uh, this this word actually resonating all the time and even now when I work uh, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of work for Claire Molly mm-hmm. 
Mm. Uh, it's a different type of work, if I may say, because it's... Uh, Just tell us a bit about yeah. Claire, because she, yes. she did Carnival Works yep. a few yes. years ago as well. Yes. Brilliant, so, absolutely brilliant. Great, great uh, example, for instance. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with The Spy Who Loved, her book, yep. yes, mm -hmm. about Kristen Grant, actually Kristen Askarbeck. Yes. Uh, so, um, the Polish translation, uh, the, Pol the Polish translation, the title, is, has been translated as Kobieta uh, Szpieg. So we've got original is The Spy Who Loved and Kobieta Szpieg, which is literally a woman spy. Oh. A woman spy. Okay? Now, Claire didn't know that, Chris, uh, that Kristen Granville, Kristina Skarbek's surname, translates Skarbek as little treasure. Mm. Now, if it was up to me to translate the title, I just... I. I think that would be a perfect one. Yeah, a little yeah, yeah. treasure as a surname, as, perfect, as a surname, yeah. but also as something that... We, so we can see now the perfect example of how different ideas, right, would, be, would, would come, come, come to life when it comes to translation. So uh, I cannot reveal too much, I'm afraid, no, about, <laughs> about the latest one. But she's working uh, on, she's writing a book about Elżbieta Zawadzka, a uh, heroine, Polish heroine, uh, only woman who um, parachuted with a silent unseen, a group of, uh, during the World War II, extremely brave woman. And uh, I didn't know, can you believe, I didn't know anything about yeah. Zawadzka. Uh -huh. I didn't know anything about Christine Granville. I didn't know anything about Krystyna Skarbek. Had it not been for Claire, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I wouldn't know. And thanks to writers, biographers, Biographers, and I've got to say also the same comes for, uh, let's say, Elihu Yale. I, I arrived in Wrexham in 2004, went to St. Giles, looked at the church, uh, went on the street, and I did not know anything about Elihu Yale. I didn't know that, you know, 15 no. years later, I would read a story in, <laughs> in these yeah. books. And, and you're not, you know, that's for people who've lived in Wrexham like me for, that's right. for, for 28, 29 years. That's yeah. right. So, uh, so coming back to book now, so uh, and my role is not to translate the book, uh, but do a bit what we call uh, uh, translating research. So I'm being asked to look for specific things uh, that uh, the author needs and then translate it. Only the pieces which are important in her view. But doesn't so, that mean you have to read everything? That's right. That's yes, a lot of work absolutely. for the little gems. Absolutely. Wow. So, for instance, I'm being wow. given a task to find uh, whether she met a particular person, whether Zavatska met a particular mm -hmm. person, and skim read the book. But you still need to read the book to find mm -hmm. the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fascinating process. I, 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 I have to say that I uh, enjoy it much more than translating. Yeah. Uh, it's a fascinating process, actually, to get into uh, the archives look uh, you know this gravity of responsibility that certain things are up to you uh, to find them or not because you could be you could be the yes. first person that's right that's, yeah. I, know, I mean this is like archaeology but anyway, <laughs> it, I, is. I wonder, it is yes that, that's, that's is. a good that's yeah. a good comparison i want to bring you in dave because you you know you're the second jack telford book uh, until the curtain falls you had translated into Spanish, or uh -huh. how did it work? Did, uh -huh. did you, because you, you, your, your Spanish isn't that bad, is it? No, my Spanish is okay, thankfully my Spanish is okay. <laughs> um, so it was a really, it was, because I'm sort of self-published, so normally you would simply hand, you know, your work to a, a translator, and they mm -hmm. translate it. Um, I, I don't know how authors know 
whether their work's been translated decently or not. Okay. So my experience with this was this, that we had somebody do a, a sort of a basic first translation, sort of mm-hmm. rough translation. Then the book went to a literary, a literary translator into Spanish. Um, and I read that, and I read that, and I sort of knew it was kind of okay, but there were all bits where, you know, you get sort of pricking of your thumbs, and I yeah. thought, this just doesn't right feel quite right. right. So the, the, the first translation had all sorts of glaring stuff in it. So most notably, it was translated by somebody who, who didn't really have any military experience and who, who translated like machine gun as a machine gun... But, isn't very heavy, uh, which it sort of, you know, it, but there were bits, but generally, you know. but then the literary translation was kind of okay, but there were just these bits in it. Unfortunately, we, we've got these kind of mates really who are dotted about all over Spain, who themselves are all kind of historians. And I just got all of them mm-hmm. to read it. And it just, it threw up these kind of really, really odd Things and it was ma- it was mainly stuff where you know Sp- Spanish is quite difficult really because th- there are all well it's only like English but there are all these kind of regional jargon mm-hmm. uh, vocabularies mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and you know so I'd have one person in the Valencia region saying oh my god you can't use that phrase mm-hmm. in Valencia. On somebody else in Galicia who'd say, no, no, you know, you mustn't. And the, I can't even repeat them because most of them were just incredibly rude. Um, <laughs> but I remember, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah, there was yeah. this one bit where Jack, Jack Tilbert again, is kind of by this river and there's a bobbing wagtail. Mm. Yeah, bobbing wagtail, it's fine. I so, remember the scene. A, bo- a bobbing wagtail by the yeah. river and all this kind of stuff. And in uh, Asturias, I think, bobbing wagtail has a really, really rude <laughs> connotation, you know what I mean? It has to go. And there were things like, and then you get these linguistic things like, there's a bit where Jack's in San Sebastian. So sorry, Dave, was it omitted then? Oh, well, we just had to check. We had right. to, I che- it became a robin or something. Oh, I can't. Right. Or a bird. Something, you know what I mean? Just, yeah, no, change okay. the... Change the bird. <laughs> just take the bobby white tail out of it. Brilliant <laughs> illustration of a minute nature translation. Yeah, and then right, there was yeah. this other bit where you, you just get totally stumped. So Jack's in San Sebastian. He's listening to these women on the waterfront who were all the wives of the local fishermen. They are literally fishwives. And of course, fishwives right. here as a... It's a, not good. A particular yeah. connotation yeah. as well. Right. So he's listening to all these women. So we've got fishwives... But they all said it doesn't work because in fishwives, fishwives are just wives of fishermen. fishermen. The whole thing about, you know, sort of being a bit crude and loud, it doesn't have it. Okay, so what's the Spanish translation then? And it was sort of greengrocers' wives. So they so they translated to greengrocers' wives. So he's listening to his greengrocers' wives down, and I'm going, no, they're on the waterfront. Why, you know, why would the greengrocers' wives? Why would the greengrocers' wives be on the? It does get really silly. So they get, well, we just had to rewrite the well, the section. So my grandma kind of, was a greengrocer's wife. No, so but <laughs> it's just it's that kind no, of stuff, really. Right. And without yeah. people, I think, sort of saying, you know. You know, look from a jargon point of view, you can't use yeah. that bit of oh, that doesn't work and so on and so forth. But that's it. So you know, I'm back to all my friends who regularly get their books translated into other other languages. I haven't got the faintest idea 
how they know. It's, they probably don't. They, they don't. This is what I wanted to say. That they, they probably don't. No. And uh, important is to have uh, your work checked and proofread by many, many people. Because mm. from the publisher points of view, Absolutely. you know, you uh, many uh, translated liter- many translated books are rejected in the first instance because first of all they are very risky. You have to have a translator involved first before mm. you even get into you know publishing yeah. process. Yeah. So that is costly, and I think that also is the reason why we don't see that that much yeah. translator uh, translated literature. Uh, but what you mentioned, Dave, the uh, re- um, the regional language and the yeah. you know all the all that knowledge is extremely important. I know and I've read the books where this was omitted, and I just could not believe what I was actually reading, thinking this this cannot be the case. And then uh, you know, so so that is extremely important. And I've got well, yeah. I've got a question really because when when. Not that you're not big authors, but you know when you get to the J.K. Rowling and the Ian Rankins <clears throat> and the big big names, you know blockbusters, and they get translated into pretty much every language you can ever think of. The people reading in some dialect of some tribe in Africa may not actually be reading the same book as we read in the um, original. It may have no relation at all. That's right. Is it possible? Uh, well. Um Translated literature is a little bit like Mimesis by mm. Aristotle, uh, if you're familiar with the, with, the, with the term. It's kind of like, uh, in a sense, it's, it's an imitation, mm. isn't it? You are doing yeah. something, you are translating something, but giving it a second line. Yes. And some people will find, uh, some people will relate to that, some people might not even uh, understand bits of it. And, and there is no uh, cue for it, in a sense. You see, so uh, I think um, uh, the, the good example for, uh, if I may, I know we've got limited time, but if I can just show you a few things mm, that please. actually could quite nicely correspond with the topic. I brought something which I bought on, in January, and could you believe this is Robert Burns translated <laughs> into Silesian regional uh, dialect. I'm sorry, no, you seriously. Would, seriously, so you would not seriously. believe. So in order, for Silesians, folks in Poland, to understand Robert Burns, it was actually translated I'm into... Just because, I mean, the majority yeah. of people who speak <laughs> English who have nothing... <laughs> no knowledge right. of Scotland so do you don't know what I mean? So in order to get that minority familiar with Robert Burns, it was actually translated into the dialect. And the, the poetry wouldn't be, wouldn't be that amazingly, you know, uh, uh, done in Polish original language, like in Silesian. And mean, when I read it... How do they stack up? I mean, you know, <laughs> is it a completely different experience? It is. And it... It is a hilarious experience. Let me let me tell you that when you actually read it That's as a me. Polish person, as a Paul reading Robert Burns in Silesian, it's just, it gives you a totally different experience. And mind you, that is translated from Scots, isn't it? So it yeah. is just unbelievable. Have you have you seen anything like it? I, have you seen yeah, anything like I, it? <laughs> I mean, that is that is classic. That's it's worth great. just doing it yeah, for yeah, that. It is, and the foreword, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can actually ask Scots. Oh, I can't even actually, I wouldn't be able to read it, Dave. And it does, but, but it's, isn't that in a dialect as well? I think it's in a dialect. Thai, high and... Oh, this oh, is... Um, can you see it? 
Yeah. I think so that's for Polish folks as well, you know. It's going to be quite... The interesting thing is that Robert Burns has a, a massive global appeal. Oh, of course. He's of a course. huge hero uh, in many countries. Pe- and people uh, forget that, you know. You see, I did a, a really interesting course, um, online course with Strathclyde University. It was a revelation. Yeah. The man, very short life, but a huge yeah. global yeah, yeah. impact. Absolutely, um, but I think also because he was writing in a regional language yeah. which actually uh, resonated with people. Well, no, was Scots language is considered to be uh, right. one of the languages of Scotland. So oh, it's so, a language okay. of its, in its own right. It's more than just a dialect. All oh, right, okay. okay. Yeah, thank, yeah. thank you for correcting me. So uh, with Silesian, uh, it is very similar, but uh, we don't have. I'd love to see you just apply the Scots language and Silesian is very similar. Brilliant. So uh, <laughs> they uh, they would like to become independent, but um, uh, but th- there is no much hope for that. And I think this resonates even more if you know what I mean yeah, with, with yeah, them. Yeah, it's it's real having, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think that that was the reason. Also, you know, as it was the first the first translation of Mirek Senior, I just could not believe it. I, had I, to I, I love the fact. I love that. <laughs> and I mean, you, you know, I was going to touch on the fact poetry is a whole different. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because even understanding poetry, or like, you know, I don't think you have to understand poetry in the language you're reading it. It just should flow over you. But then you translate that. I mean, it's, it's, it becomes a different word absolutely, altogether. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. uh, one of my, oh, of, of my favourite, well, if I can use that word, favourite translators is Stanisław Barańczak and Claire Kavana. I mean, the way they, Barańczak is no longer with us, but uh, the way they work together, Kavana and Barańczak work together on uh, translations of Wisława Szymborska poetry, for instance. And I don't know if I may, but if you allow me to show you just a please, simple please, example. Yes, yes. So the, I think this is the one of the best examples of, trans, uh, of poetry in translation of how uh, difficult yet challenging it can be. The poem of Szymborska is called Pierwsza Fotografia Hitlera. So literally, if we wanted to translate it literally, we would have the Hitler's first photograph. And then just the first two lines. A któż to jest ten dzidziś w kaftaniku? Toż to mały Adolfek, Adolfek, syn państwa Hitlerów. So translating it very close to the original would be, uh, who is this uh, little boy? Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's Adolf, little Adolf, uh, the Hitler's son. Nothing special, right? But then look as, at how they did it. And who's this little fellow in his itty-bitty robe? That's tiny baby Adolf, the Hitler's little boy. Uh, so can you see, this is just... Okay, it's not exact, but it allows uh, you to do this room... It captures That's right, it captures the whole sense. feel it of... It takes it to a different level, Completely actually, different it? level. It, I mean, you know, not, not a different level, it, it's a different plane and, and, and helps the understanding. I think it, it's a different place entirely. I think you're right there because if we wanted to do it uh, literally, this would, they hope, um, 
I think also the purpose of 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 of, uh, of, of how Szymborska, what Szymborska wanted us to see from this uh, from this poem would be completely lost if it wasn't for mm-hmm. that uh, for that sense. Uh, sense. Yes, I think I think that's a, a brilliant example. This this could go on for ages. Dave, thank you so You're much. You're very very for, welcome. For, for, uh, Always for, happy for this. to come and chat. I think we probably need to regroup another time and and, and do something else. Oh, this, this could be why not. This could be a whole separate Absolutely. podcast. This yeah. could be a substream, couldn't it? Yeah. Oh, Brilliant. Well, more than Thank happy you. to do Thank it again. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank, Thank you, you so welcome. much. Thank you. Okay, so uh, that was Monica uh, and uh, Dave. So thanks to both of them for their contributions. Uh, I hope you found both of those interesting. This is certainly proving to be a diverse show, I must say. I know uh, both both of you, Lara and Gwyn. Um, well, Gwyn, we did a whole, you did a whole year of um, uh, literature in translation, didn't you? Not not exactly literature in translation, well, but yeah, I did yeah. read books from around the world, and yes. I was actually going back over my list just before coming on now, just to try and call up a few to to remember. And I think quite a few of them were actually written in first language English, so um, okay. not translation, but they were by writers in that particular country, in that um, culture. So it was still an insight into that, that we would normally get. Um, there, there's, I, I was just trying to find a few. Um, it was so varied. It was really interesting to read books from just such a range of countries that aren't what we kind of fall over when we walk out of the door, shall we mm. say. Um, there's one here, it was a sci-fi novel um, that was translated from the Chinese. Um, and this surprised me because I it was very hard sci-fi, so a lot of physics and aliens and things like that, which is not normally my kind of sci-fi, but I loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's called The Three-Body Problem by Liu Sixin. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. Again, <laughs> I'm apologising for my... Um, lack of knowledge and pronunciation there. It's the first of a trilogy. Um, and I, I probably left it a bit too long to go and pick up the other two books of the trilogy now. I'm not sure I can remember everything that happens, but that I that was a, a surprise because um, although I do like sci-fi, it surprised me that I, it was must have been so well written that I don't normally like that kind of sci-fi mm. and it, I, I really did, it was excellent. There's another one that I'm, I think I remember mentioning to you at the time. It was The True Deceiver by Toby Janssen. Oh, yeah. Uh, who is more well known for her kids' books, The Moomins. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was a, a novel for, for adults, um, The True Deceiver or The Honest Deceiver. Um, and that, I read obviously that in the English translation. That's, again, very atmospheric. It's set in like a little village, snow is falling. It's very much about people in a small environment and how they relate to each other and wondering who's thinking what and who's doing what mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's very atmospheric I think is the word. She, she's quite interesting isn't she Gwyn because mm. she was um, she lived in Finland and was you know mm. born and brought up in Helsinki but mm. she was a, a group of there's a group of Swedish uh, nationals who were uh, part of Finland, but she wrote in Swedish, but was Finnish. Mm. Um, so yeah. that in itself is an interesting linguistic challenge, mm. I would imagine. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, there's another book that I actually want to mention, not from when I was doing this year of reading around the world, but a book I need to start reading now because I borrowed it off somebody at my book group and I have to return it in three weeks' time. Um, and it's it's translated from the Icelandic. Ooh. It's called Love Star. I think it's another sort of sci-fi slash maybe fantasy novel. Um, I haven't even begun to dip into it. She did tell me what it was about and it sounded interesting but apart from reading out the blurb on the back that i can only remember odd bits i'm looking forward to your pronunciation of the icelandic author um it's not quite so difficult as some i've come across but i i may still get this wrong andre snyer magnuson oh okay Magna um, magnuson that's 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 okay that's almost yeah. um yeah we we can do that in this that, in english yeah, yeah. But there's a little tiny blurb from Publishers Weekly, which says Orwell, Vonnegut and Douglas Adams are felt on every page. Wow. That's it's high praise. <laughs> that really? Wow. If it lives yeah. up to that, it's going That's to be good. going on my list as well, guys. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as I say, I haven't started it. It's um, something to do with uh, some kind of big corporate entity set somewhere in Northern Iceland. And it's to do with with well I'm, I'm not entirely sure it's about technology it's about relationships and how people connect with each other how much of our lives and feelings can be the word i was going to use was technologized which probably doesn't even exist mm. but um i think it delves into those um themes of love and connection and what is real and what what can you outsource to technology and and so wow. on could be completely misrepresenting it. I'll, I'll tell you more when I've actually read it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, that, that that that's good. And you you've you, you, well, you um, have a smattering of languages yourself, don't you, Gwen? Smattering, yeah. I studied but, a few but, at school. An, yeah, enough <laughs> enough to have read books in other languages, haven't have you? Um, not that much. I no. I. French is perhaps the only language apart from English that I could read a novel in. And even that would take some time to, to grapple back from the recesses of my brain. <laughs> but when I, I, I was in one of my years when I was blogging, I did reread Dangerous Liaison in the original French. Um, so I was quite impressed with myself for doing that. <laughs> oui, yeah. Is it as good as a film? Oh, it's better. Ah, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. And we'll all believe you because we're not going to read Dangerous Liaisons in French. Or are you, Lara? Possibly. <laughs> uh, I didn't know you as a, a multilinguist, but there you are. Um, I'm currently learning six different languages. Oh, present. my God. That's nearly as bad as your reading list. <laughs> oh, go on then. So, but uh, literature... Um, uh, in translation, I mean, is there any particular, apart from Count of Monte Cristo, obviously, which is our, our current read, um, anything that comes to mind for you? I'm, I'm going to give my first vote to I love crime thrillers. Um, I think if I were to live anywhere, I'd love to live in this place, which is Sweden. Mm. I love the, the dark, you know, the dark, the moodiness. And I'm going to go for Stig Larsson's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm. Because when when I read this book, obviously, I just thought it was. Um, I just I just couldn't. I think I reread it about three or four times. The characters are brilliant. The whole idea of this family mystery 
and this crime journalist trying to work out this woman who's gone missing and he ends up working with a sort of punky angry anti-social girl who's into computer hacking and you think to yourself this shouldn't work as this shouldn't work as a duo you know there's too much going on here but it's explosive and it's moody and it's miserable and it keeps you reading it and it you don't know what's going to happen next which i think is a real gift when you're writing a trilogy to, to sustain that energy and the momentum and the mystery and to genuinely not know what's going to happen next is is quite a skill I think you know and not be predictable but not be too outlandish with some of the things that, that happen so that would definitely be one of my uh, recommendations. Have, have you um because the I read the trilogy and I read them really quickly because they are really good read and i suspect they're really well translated as well but they've um since he died didn't he before they were uh published Steve yes. um and they've started producing um further series you haven't read any of those have you no i haven't read any of those no, i just wondered whether they're uh, as good as i suspect not but you know if you if you have a comment, you can always tell us. Can't we? Can't, uh, we, we yeah. So yeah, Stig, Stig Larsson, and it makes you want to go to Sweden. Well, that's amazing. It's not exactly a tourist uh, guide. <laughs> anyway, yes. So, uh, um, and where else are you going to take us with your translated? Oh, where, where else? Well, this is the thing, is it? When it comes to translated fiction, now I haven't. I'm only thirty pages in. Um, but I'm trying to read Le Miserable by Victor Hugo. Ooh. I have tried to read this book a couple of times. I've obviously seen many theatre productions of it. Uh, I'm really hoping this is the year that I succeed in reading it. <laughs> I, want, I want to see what the differences between the text are in, in just text form and the theatre version. So I, I will keep you guys posted on how I get on with, with that one. Um, and I, I, I think probably I would go for, oh, it's so hard to choose once you start looking at translated fiction, isn't it? Mm. Um, I'm going to go for um, Personopolis, which is a graphic novel which is a story of a lady's childhood growing up in 1970s Iran. Yeah. Now, I first saw this, obviously, as a graphic novel and was taken by these black and white illustrations, and it kind of drew me towards the book. I didn't even look at the blurb at the back. I just got drawn towards... And it's I, I learned so much about life in Iran that I, I previously did not know about from, from other books. So I would thoroughly recommend that. And she, she does actually have a sequel for that, but she is a, you know, a teacher and an educator and a writer and just, just a brilliant person, really. So mm. I would recommend that one. Yeah, that's a fabulous um, a graphic novel, and I think turned into an animated film. I, I've got, a, I yes, think it is, yeah, a, which was equally well. good. Yeah, yeah. You have just uh, reminded me of uh, graphic graphic novels, um, and translation are great. As a child, uh, in a primary school, we used to the school library used to dump. Sorry, deliver. Um, a whole box of books uh, about every two or three months and then we'd take them home, you know, until we'd worn them out. I used to just rush for the Tintin. Um, 
I was going to say novels, but you know, they they, they are basically graphic novels, aren't they, uh, Tintin? Um, and some of them were in French. It didn't bother me at all. I enjoyed. I've got some Asterix comic books. For yeah, them. yeah, exactly. And it yeah. just, it, uh, you know, because you get the story. And actually, I'm sure some of my very poor French is based on the fact of well, Asterix and Tintin, which is quite <laughs> worrying, actually. Um, but the, the, the book I would recommend is one um, by Nora Krug. Um, it's a beautiful book. It's a little, uh, uh, so it's a graphic novel. I read it in English, but it was originally in German. My German is good enough, I discovered, to actually be able to understand the the graphic. So it's not like um, lots of balloons and things. I don't know why I'm showing you this, but it's a beautifully it's beautifully illustrated, and there are enough small captions. So it's bite sized chunks of the language, um, and uh, I have to say the the english translation seems a little bit different even though it is within the same confines of, of the pictures um is i guess the, the original title or is that yeah the... yeah I, and i think it's called high mat in english as well right. let me just because yeah. um, it was a tv show called high mat wasn't yeah it? Was oh it? fabulous yeah. tea yes they they the the it's um an epic high mat. Uh, the original high mat um, was black and white. I th it's a, I've got the box set. It's huge. You know, it's set around um, someone returning from the First World War. It's set in Saarland. You know that that borderland between France and um, the Ardennes, um, between France and Germany. So an interesting place and. Um, not quite Germany and maybe not and then of course the rise of Nazis and, uh, and it goes right the way through that and the division between families um, then I believe there was Heimat 2 and 3 which takes you through sort of 1960s 70s uh, Berlin and then up to the present day if you have the time um, it, yes so uh, Heimat basically means the same as Hereith in, in Welsh uh, you know that quite hard to translate it's that that feeling of home in your in your heart yeah so i wasn't going to recommend that so thank you lara you 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 triggered that for me um i i think for me uh translated uh, fiction certainly i i keep going back to the russian classics i love tolstoy and absolutely no idea how good the translations are because my russian is very very well, let's face it, non-existent. Um, even after having read Putin's people with so many Russian names, I can't keep up with it. Um, but the, 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 the whole interesting stuff about, um, well, you know, in the interview, we, we talked about translation is, a, is an art in itself. So actually what you're getting is, a, is, is an imitation or a reflection of the original story. And if it's done well, it actually adds something to the story, which, which, which I like. I have a nasty feeling, though, um, that many authors let their uh, book go and then the publishers go, oh, well, we're going to have it published in Icelandic and Russian and... Um, Spanish and they go yeah yeah great but you unless you actually keep a, a track of that you have no idea whether that is going to be good because if it's a bad translation people it's going to reflect badly on you as an author how you get around that I don't know yeah 
we could talk about this a lot more. When, when we go to Liverpool, Lara, we, we could talk about the uh, excellent language that uh, you have up there called Scouse, which is... <laughs> Um, the, 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 teach Yourself Scouse. I don't know if you can still get it by Fritsch Spiegel. He produced three or four volumes where you could teach yourself Scouse. And it is like a different language. Um, and some of it is not necessarily as... Uh, it's, it's not for a clean show like this. You know, I'd have to put explicit on the title. Um, but uh, we, we might get into language. Actually, we, we should get into to, to, to Scouse. We'll do that, uh, Lara. Remind me. Um, so, so folks, look, I need to release you to go and have your tea and settle down with a good book, don't I? Um, yeah, or, or start high mat and be there for another 48 hours. Um, yeah. Uh, so thanks ever so much for, for joining in. We will definitely be back, uh, next month. I, I keep promising things for this podcast, but we're definitely going to do the Liverpool thing. Aren't we, Lara? Yes. So we've said it and I'm going to keep it in and you heard us say it uh, and we've not actually done an outside broadcast. So that'll be fun. Um, And uh, and lots of other good things will be coming down the line with Bookalicious and uh, keep an eye on the um, blog on bookalicious.com. And of course, you can go there, comment on the blog or send us an email on info at bookalicious.com. We're still expectantly waiting someone to do that one day. No one's done it, have they? Not that we noticed. (laughs) If you're waiting for a report. So uh, we will be back definitely at some point next month. And um so thanks um gwen lara thank you to dave and monica and thank you all for listening we'll be back very soon you've been listening to bookalicious available wherever you get your podcasts don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends we love to know you're listening so please like us or leave a comment Have a look at our website, bookalicious.com, and you can contact us on info at bookalicious.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you all happy reading.